Oh, hi. Welcome in to the Simon Short Podcast. I'm Simon Short. Just a quick little message here at the top. We have a big, big podcast here with John Boyd. So everybody make sure you uh, are here and ready for that. We really appreciate it. Uh, no episode last week, obviously. Apologize for that. Uh, ended up doing a lot of traveling during the week. Uh, had, a, had a house full of sick people. Uh, it was a whole mess, um, but everybody's doing well. Everybody's happy, healthy now. So we really appreciate that. Um, again, sorry for no episode last week, but it just was, wasn't in the cards. So we have a big episode for you here. Um, I won't do a big secret invasion thing at the top because the finale was just real disappointing. I thought episode five was really good. I thought it built on the momentum from episode four. And I thought those were very clearly the best two episodes of the show. And the finality, I do want to, I am going to end up probably rewatching it, everything as a whole. Um, but the finale was was bad. It was just bad. Uh, I thought the show was a big miss. I think it was probably the weakest MCU show we've had. Um, you guys know I like to be positive about this stuff, but... And, and part of it's probably my own expectations a little bit. I wanted the show to be one thing. It went for something else. I also don't think it landed the thing it was trying to do. I wanted that mystery, spy, thriller, action, who's a scroll, who's not, who's invading the U.S. government. And it was much more fury dealing with the fallout of not helping the scrolls like he said he would. And when you have that, you need a lot of emotional weight. And that's just not something we've had gotten from Fury in the MCU. So it wasn't really building off of what we had invested in the character so far. They they asked a lot of the relationship that we've built up for Fury and Talos uh, in this show through the first four episodes. And I didn't even think those really landed. I don't know if the chemistry between Samuel Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn was ever fully there. Um the the Gaia stuff uh, as great as um you know Amelia Clark is uh, because we've never seen this version of Gaia before this show we that emotional weight didn't really carry I I think the show just wanted to be something that I don't think it was able to execute I think it would have been much better served to do the spy thriller thing we see Fury get to really do all the great spy stuff that we have grown accustomed to and and seen in, in little bits and pieces. And I even thought, I forget if it was episode two or I think it was two, but it, one of the early episodes, we get the moment of Fury having the nightmare and flashing back to the blip. And we're like, oh, it's going to be more of a retrospective on Fury and how he feels post blip and where his place is in the world and yada, yada. And it wasn't even really that. I thought that would have been a much more interesting emotional story than the ones we got because we get the scene in the finale where Fury actually says, oh, I felt relief when I was getting blipped away. And just really, because that's not what your nightmare seemed to suggest. The show didn't feel very intentional. It felt like it was just doing things to do things, go through the motions um, instead of like everything, every little thing mattering. Last thing I'll say is coming out of the finale when they find the real roadie. And he's in the hospital gown and he's still kind of he's kind of limping a la accident after Civil War. I turned to my wife and I was like, I think what they want us to think is that he was a scroll since Civil War. 
right? He goes into the hospital paralyzed. He comes out and he's he's doing the leg workouts and, and te- testing out the technology from Stark. And it's like, are they trying to make us think that that was when the switch happened? That seems to be the popular theory, but there's a lot of pushback as well right now on Twitter. But all the articles and all the all the websites are saying are kind of running with that as the theory, um, which would be really a bummer if everything that Rhodey did post Civil War, especially his last scene with Stark and being at the funeral, was actually a scroll. So I'm hoping that's not it. I don't know when we're gonna get any kind of real confirmation on that. I don't know if we will, but overall, I'd say the show pretty disappointing so marvel has a lot of work to do a lot of uh needs to get back to the drawing board so that's all i will do here at the top really appreciate you all listening now let's get to my conversation with john the simon short podcast is presented by box score network box score network is your one-stop shop for all things nfl podcasts you want game analysis betting lines hot takes and fantasy advice check out box score network Follow Boxcore Network on Twitter at Bscore Network for updates. All right, John Boyd is here. Welcoming in John for the first time to the Simon Short podcast. You can find John uh, as part of Necessary Roughness NFL Show, part of Bite Size Sports. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at John B. Boyd 12. It's Johnny Football. John, welcome in, man. How you doing? Pretty good, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks again for having me on. Uh, super, super psyched about the concept and um, and everything we're going to get into today. So, yeah, super stoked. Feeling good. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm doing great. I'm really excited. This is the last real bit of off-season type fodder type of material because training camp really officially, I think the last team, which was actually the Pittsburgh Steelers, reported to training camp today officially um, here at the end of July. All teams are now in training camp. We're going to be full in on preseason and getting ready for the regular season mode starting in August. But let's let's have one more bit of fun, one more bit of silliness before all that ends. And we're going to do a, a redraft of the 2022 draft and some lessons learned now. If we wanted like really rock solid lessons, everybody, we'd go maybe five years or maybe a little more in the past and look at trends over a couple of years. But we're just going to keep this pretty easy and breezy. Um, John and I each have three lessons we are taking away from the 2022 draft, what we observe from those players uh, and those teams over the course of the year and how we can maybe apply them to watching these rookies in 2023 and then being ready into the draft process next year and just moving forward. So a couple of lessons that we've learned from the 2022 draft, and then we'll get into a redraft. Um, the draft order for the redraft, we're keeping the same. So we're including any pre-draft and draft night trades. Um, but from there, we'll kind of mix things up a little bit. We'll, we'll stick to some, I think, team procedures and, and what they like to do but not too not too hard not too steadfast we want to have fun with this and just kind of look back on which rookies really outperform their stock and, and where might they go if teams had a chance to do it all over again john quick question that's off the dock already um before we get into that when it comes to the redraft when you were kind of looking through the board looking through the teams how many guys outside of the first round 
a, a rough number did you kind of come up with that you think might go round one now or or just you know if, if you had it how many how many guys did you like better day two day three that might go round one mm-hmm. yeah i mean i'm a i'm a huge fit guy when mm-hmm. I'm, when i'm thinking about uh the draft and like looking at those prospects and and going through mock drafts um and i think that so there's probably about 40 first round players kind of in my head that mm-hmm. that are you know in that lexicon of you know who depending on who's picking in the late 20s or you know might like this fit better this fit better um but i think there were about 10 to 12 guys that went outside the first round that i'm at least going to um kind of have in consideration and and yeah. some of those actually pretty early yeah. um which is is extremely interesting. I mean, those are the best. And we, we're not going to be talking about trends like you mentioned, but one of my favorite things to kind of observe through the uh, draft process is just the teams that continue to get great value later in the draft um, and, and how that can kind of start to snowball into uh, contention when just raising the floor of your roster when you're filling it out with quality players. Um I mean, there are so many you, – you've seen the screenshots on Twitter from, like, football reference of, like, draft classes, mm-hmm. like the Raiders 2020 uh, mm-hmm. class, and, and you just see, like, nine names, and you're like, wow, seven of those guys are out of the league. Like, this <laughs> yeah. is just terrible, <laughs> when terrible. none of them are bolded, it's not a good sign. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's that's something that's always interesting. I mean, the Ravens always hit on, yep. on players like that. The 49ers have been great – over the last few years in that department, Kansas city has been ridiculous in Mm -hmm. the rounds um, to sort of buoy this, this dynasty they're putting together. So um, that's always a really intriguing part to me. So being able to talk about some of those players in the context of first round picks that really weren't even in, um, you know, part of the, the, the first round zeitgeist at the time is, is probably going to be my favorite part of this exercise here. Awesome. Well, let's get to our lessons and then we'll get to that redraft. John, when you look back at that 2022 draft, you were kind of looking through the names, looking through the teams. You're thinking about this draft that we just had in 23. You're thinking about this upcoming season. What's the first lesson you took away? So it's it's a little broad strokes, but I mean, the first thing I thought in in looking back at this was just don't overthink it. I think there are uh, a lot of t- like we'll we'll get into a lot of you know the my reasoning behind this i think kind of as the draft goes when we talk mm-hmm. about more specific players but one example is even i feel like Trayvon Walker at 1 um might have been a little bit of overthought from the mm-hmm. Jags front office just because i mean you saw Aiden Hutchinson come out be so polished lead all rookies in sacks three picks uh which was uh ridiculous <laughs> Um, one, one of which is very close to my heart, uh, picking off Rogers, but, um, and, and Kayvon Thibodeau, who had a great rookie season mm-hmm. and to go edge and, and take Trayvon. And I, and I, like I said, I'm a huge fit guy. I think the, the versatility he brings is different than, uh, than Kayvon or, or Aiden Hutchinson. Um, so I get that part. Um, but I don't know. I, I think there were some more surefire talents um even at, even in the same position group uh where Trayvon is you know if his if his ceiling's higher it's not by much because those mm-hmm. those other two guys have very high ceilings and and there's also I think 
a, a more serious risk reward uh, kind of situation with with Walker. Um, so, I mean, that's just one example, but there were several others as I went through where I was like, oh, why didn't they just mm-hmm. like for, one thing I thought for the Vikings, actually, we were sitting at 12 initially before trading back to 32. So we'll pick for them at 32 today. But uh, we were all sitting there on our Minnesota couches and going, oh, Jordan Davis is still on the board. Oh, Kyle Hamilton's still on the board. Yeah. Like, yeah, take them. And then we trade out to 32. Granted, we took the next safety off the board, and Lewis Seen, who I'm really high on, um, mm-hmm. was able to stay healthy. But that was just kind of one of those things where, like, yeah, okay. But, I mean, I think there was a, a potential blue-chip prospect in Kyle Hamilton on the board. Um, he had a pretty good rookie season. Um, I don't know if it necessarily mm-hmm. lived up to the, to the top five kind of hype. But right. I don't know. I think that was one of those examples where it's like, hey – we're getting gashed in the run game. We just let Michael Pierce walk. Jordan Davis is right here. And 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 it was just Quasi's first uh, draft as GM, former Wall Street guy. Um, and we didn't pick at any of our six original picks. He was just trading. Mm-hmm. Just, he was just playing the game, um, which is, you know, there's something to be said for. But I think at that particular spot, so many surefire guys that we could have taken yeah. at position for need. And I think that was thematic for a, a lot of teams as I as I looked through this. So, uh, yeah, Washington is another example of that. They were I forget if they were at eleven or twelve originally, but the Saints and Lions both traded up into those picks and took receivers, Chris Olave and Jameson Williams, respectively. Washington yep. traded back to take Jahan Dotson. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, maybe you know from a fit perspective, maybe you like the way he fits with what you wanted to do offensively, which obviously didn't stick in Washington for very long. And maybe he you'd like his fit with with Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel, but also <laughs> Jameson Williams, who was touted as the best wide receiver prospect in this draft for what the three seasons leading up to it was there, and you trade out of it. Chris Olave is there, you know, you trade out of that spot. Um, I, I really like the, the Trayvon Walker point because I was saying this leading up to the draft, Kayvon Thibodeau was the guy that was on all of the, the mock drafts. And I know, you know, NFL execs will tell you, don't, you know, mock drafts aren't everything, but Kayvon Thibodeau was like the number one guy in this class for three seasons. It felt like two seasons where it was like, okay, once we get through all these other years, Thibodeau's the guy. And it wasn't really until halfway through the college football season that everyone started saying maybe he won't be the guy and had nothing to do with him playing football. It had everything to do with what people thought were going to be some personality quirks, not even like he was getting into trouble or having stuff come out about him at practice. It was just like, Oh no, we think there's some personality stuff happening. So we're going to start looking at some other guys. Mm -hmm. And then to mention Aiden Hutchinson, where it was like, okay, the, immediate fallback guy the next guy was Aiden Hutchinson for the entire season and then last minute it was oh now let's start looking at Trayvon Walker now to all your points are great words like hey maybe it's a fit thing there's things behind the scenes that we don't necessarily know about but I think that's a I think that's a huge one for teams to just not overthink this don't worry about what you think the extra value you can squeeze out of stuff necessarily is. Don't necessarily think about what the mock drafts or the media pundits or or us on a podcast are going to say, just like 
just take the best players and like you know that that are going to fit your team and fit your culture and kind of move on a la patriots taking cole strange and not really being worried about it at, at 29 um yep. i don't i don't necessarily have cole strange uh, uh he'll be in that top 40 ish mix that you were talking about but uh i definitely yeah. didn't have that going into the draft that's for sure no and you know who really didn't overthink it is the new york teams mm-hmm. uh, they didn't, you know, Crushed they didn't it. try to squeeze more value out of out of trade downs um, <clears throat> to a to a crazy extent. Yeah, they they crushed it. It was it was oh, Avon's here at five. All right, yep. Sp- sprint that one to the podium, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then uh, Icky goes at six, and Evan Neal might have even been their number one tackle going in, given that Andrew Thomas was already at left. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they just slammed that pick, and the Jets are like. Oh, Stingley goes at three, and then we had Sauce number one anyway. Sauce, mm-hmm. Ooh, mm-hmm. let's just take the best receiver, and mm-hmm. it was. I mean, it worked out more so obviously for the Jets with with the offensive and rookie offensive and defensive rookies of the year, but uh, but the Giants as well. I think knocked it out of the park, and uh, they yeah. sticked, picked, took good players, um, and that's that's all you can really do. Yeah, no, I love that. That that's such a great point, and really kind of I think is probably all encompassing to everything else we're going to talk about tonight. Um, So that's a great one to start with, but let's dive into a few more here. Um, I'm going to start with the topic that's on everybody's minds right now. And that's the running back position. Hmm. Now, do I want running backs to get paid once they're in the league? Yes. If I was an NFL GM, would I draft a running back in the first round who would then want to get paid a lot of money? No. (laughs) Um, my lesson here is just don't draft a running back before day three. Just don't do it. And really, I would even prefer you just grab a few undrafted guys and see what happens. Um, now, does, uh, the examples from the 2022 draft, are Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker good running backs? Absolutely. Are they pro- Are they better than the guys that went day three? Probably. But what's the whole reason for this whole running back issue and it's the shelf life of the player and it's the ability to not get hurt because they take such a such a pounding Brees Hall only played half of his rookie year meanwhile you know Damian Pierce sitting there in round four I'd probably just rather do that and then the second round I can take a tackle to make sure that Damian Pierce is going to be as good as Brees Hall somewhere where they're not going to take a tackle. Tyler Algier, fifth round. Isaiah Pacheco, seventh round. Um, you can go back through the years. I mean, 2021, Najee Harris goes to the Steelers in the first round. Meanwhile, Ramondre Stevenson goes in the fourth round. Khalil Horbert goes in the sixth round. You go to 2020, we saw like 10 running backs go on day two. Clyde Edwards, Alaire, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon, Zach Moss, on and on. Meanwhile, James Robinson goes undrafted and has a light-up rookie year. And yeah, he got hurt and has kind of bounced around since then, right? Coincidentally, just got signed by the Giants who are there in case Saquon, you know, gets hurt this year or anything. Um but the beauty of that is, and it's a little cruel and heartless to say, but okay, James Robinson, undrafted, has an amazing year, gets hurt. Who's the next James Robinson? Go get the next undrafted guy. So what really gets me with the running backs is when teams will continue to go into third round or even fourth round when they already have a couple running backs. But like the Texans getting Damian Pierce in the fourth round when they really didn't have any high investments at running back. 
that was fine. And now they get Devin Singletary for pre- pretty cheap. That's fine. Um, the Bears this year, fourth round, Roshan Johnson, but they paid Deontay Foreman like a couple million bucks. They have Khalil Herbert, six round pick. Cobble together this running back room and, and make it work. Don't invest high in these uh, round one or day two running backs, even though they are good players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think I agree with with pretty much all of that. Like the Vikings, my Vikings are just kind of exiting 15 years of having a bell cow running back, um, having that guy. And this will be kind of the first time since it's it's become uh basically the the trend or the norm in the league this will be the first time uh in that many years that we're gonna have a running back by committee situation mm-hmm. in Minnesota um Alexander Madison fourth round pick uh Ty Chandler and and now uh, uh Dwayne McBride out of UAB who is a seventh mm-hmm. round pick mm-hmm. um nominally Kane Wangbu is a uh, is a running back as well, but he'll be our return specialist. Um, but b- between those three guys, all late round picks, low investments, just re-signed Alexander Madison to a pretty reasonable uh, two-year mm-hmm. extension. And, you know, finally it's it's sort of that new school where, yeah, and Madison might get the lion's share. Uh, don't get me wrong, but at, at least now you don't have this bona fide whether it's a, a first round pick investment on a rookie deal or a second contract running back who's getting top five money um this is the first time none of that is really the case in again you know 15 or, or so seasons um so that's super exciting i think it is sort of the way to go um because there are there are very few elite elite running backs um but there are so many really good ones with mm-hmm. where you know the the difference between quality is is much narrower than the gap between pay in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. and so it's a it's a capitalist league, and, and it operates that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the running backs get hit the hardest, but yeah, especially as a draft, um, uh, you know, sort of strategy. I think that's exactly the right approach, but I agree because I'm also of the camp where it's, Hey, if you draft good players, just extend them. Yeah. Yep. Keep them because, you know, you could always draft other good players. That's true. But is that really easier? Is that really, you know, more throws at the, at the dartboard? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there are a few, a few guys who for sure deserve a good second contract, um, but they're pretty few and far between, which is, a, yep. it's, it's really weird. And yeah, this has nothing to like once these these guys that have already got these guys. Uh, yeah, man, you, you're your toes already in the water, right? You might as well get all the way in like because I do while I take this cruel and calculated approach to drafting the running back position. I also very much believe in the like locker room dynamics and show your team like who your leaders are, what happens when you work hard and come back from an injury and play well. So for Saquon right now. You know, to be such a high draft pick, to be a leader of the team, to have dealt with two years of injuries and come back and played well, carried the offense. Yeah, man, you got to pay that guy. You got to show the guys in the building that you take care of those guys. Um, Josh Jacobs being there through a bunch of crappy Raider seasons 
to have the season he had last year and now be counted on to come back and play for less than Jimmy Garoppolo is which I mean, he wasn't going to, he's not going to get a contract bigger, but to that point, you have to pay that guy like that. You have, you did this to yourself at this point. Um, I am very worried about what's going to happen with the Steelers and Najee Harris because he's very much the heart and soul of this team already going into year three. I think he's going to be a big part of whatever this offense ends up being this year. And if he ends up having even two more seasons, just like he's having now, which are probably just BB minus seasons, it's going to be hard not to pay that guy for that kind of production to also be the captain of your team and to be this, uh, this fan draw and, and team support person. So yeah, when, when you, when you already have them in the building, don't overthink it. Let's take that lesson back and, and just pay them. And obviously this also, you know, to your guy, Adrian Peterson. Yeah. If you can draft an Adrian Peterson, just go do that. You know, it's the Falcons taking yeah. Bijan Robinson when they completely built their offense around running the football already anyways. Yeah. That's the right move. But these other guys, especially end of the first into the third round, go ahead and go ahead and take something else. Um, all right. Hit me with your second lesson. What do you got? So, my second one is to not necessarily weigh fit as far as like positional need mm-hmm. as much, um, mm-hmm. particularly after the first or uh, during the first round. Um, you know, it's it's not necessarily always best to just be best player available all the time. You have to consider an array of factors, but I think particularly in the first round where it really is the cream of the crop talent wise. Um, and, and like, you know, it's, you're drafting for ceiling essentially in the first round mm-hmm. more often than not. Um, I think that's where you really take a swing. And then, you know, later on you can kind of reassess and, and see where that pick leaves you. Um, but I mean, we, we just talked about Adrian Peterson, Chester Taylor was coming off of a great season. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the season prior to drafting Adrian Peterson, um, and and he was good thereafter, uh, just in a, in a more limited role once we knew what we had in Adrian mm-hmm. Peterson. But all of, he he fell to seven, and again the Vikings didn't overthink it. They they said this guy's unreal. Um, let's get him in the building and and let things kind of fall where they may from there. Um, I think that the only exception to that can be a quarterback situation um, where, you know, for example, I think your Steelers did the right thing, just taking, uh, taking Kenny Pickett mm-hmm. um, where you, where you really just need a succession plan for Ben. Um, Kenny was, was probably one of the higher floor guys in the mm-hmm. draft. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, that was kind of a safe one. You're not really taking a swing there. And that's why, too, you know, that that Trayvon Walker pick is forgivable if you really think you see something that separates him from the other two, potentially. Um, and you're so right in the middle of a rebuild that it's like, well, let's just get talented guys. Um, and, and again, let the, let the chips fall where they may. But that's one thing I think some teams, um, you know, really could have like my Vikings could have swung. And mm-hmm. I think they played it a little safer and drafted for need at the mm-hmm. back end of the first round uh, where, yeah, I mean, we could have drafted for need and taken a swing earlier in the round, or we could have 
we could have taken a guy like Jamison Williams to, mm-hmm. yeah, add to a solid trio of wide receivers. But this is a guy who could really change the game um, in, in terms of how teams have to defend your offense. Um, so, you know, just things like that. I think there were a lot of opportunities I saw that were missed um, and a lot of other decisions that I really agreed with because I think it was just your uh, – you could get potentially your highest return on investment if they pan out. I think that's such a good one, especially keeping it in focus to the first round because obviously you need to like fill out the roster and fill out your lines for training camp and stuff, but that that's day three stuff. And I think mm-hmm. when people come out with their draft reaction pods and their draft grades after the draft, at least the good ones, uh, and this is something that I've tried to get better at, will not just look at the first round and say, oh man, they needed a receiver. What did they do? Well, they took one in the third round that they like, and he can do this, and they already have a guy that can do this, so it's a it's a decent fit. So it's like, okay, well, you addressed a need in your wide receiver position at the draft, so that's good. Maybe I thought you were going to take one in the first round because I saw a need, but that shouldn't be the reason that I necessarily graded one way or another or that you make a certain pick because you have a roster need, especially in the first round. Um I mean, we mentioned Jordan Davis earlier for the Eagles, right? Did they need an interior defensive lineman in the draft last season? Not really. I mean, it's funny because their run defense actually wasn't too, too great this past year anyways, if you had to find one thing to to pick on them for. Um, but from a roster standpoint, you could have picked a bunch of different things probably before you got to that where where you thought you were going to need some help. Um and look what they did this that's year, Jordan too. Davis. They the and then they went and did it this year, exactly. So, <laughs> like, this guy's um, ridiculous. We're taking him. Yeah, I think I think that's such a good one. I because I, I think this might have been on the over the six podcast at, so at some point here in the off season. But the best teams, when they do draft in the first round, they don't have holes that they need to fill anyways because they just have, like you said, you you draft and then you develop and then you keep as many of the guys as you can and. If you're a good team, you're not going to have like this super glaring hole that, oh, if I don't get a 22-year-old kid to come in with this 24th pick and play this position, my team's not going to be good this season. You don't mm-hmm. want to have to count on that rookie to to do that. Um, so I think that's a great one. I think just drafting for talent, especially in the first round, going for as big a swing as you can um, with an eye on, you know, if there's something that you need that would be it really help you if all things are even i think that's a good one yeah i feel like a lot of a lot of people sometimes look at it you know through the lens of this this weird like linear you know uh the the biggest most glaring need deserves a corresponding the the corresponding highest investment we can Mm -hmm. make you know where it's like oh the worst problem with the team last year was was the the cornerbacks if we don't take a corner in the first round, I'm going to jump off a bridge. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, there are, there are other ways to, to think about that and in, in a lot more nuanced ways. And I think you're right. You, you really see that in those kind of knee jerk reactions, just like the day one recap where it's like, why wouldn't they take a, you know, a quarterback or whatever specific position where it's like the draft isn't even over yet. You right. know, yeah. <laughs> they just feel like this was, potentially the the highest return on investment they could make if this guy hits. So um, I think that's important to consider. Um, 
but again, you know, there's a lot of variables to it. And, but if you're in a position to, to do so, I think you just take the biggest swing that you can and, um, and hope, hope it pans out because, you know, that, that gamble can be, you know, consistently that gamble can turn out to be a more valuable approach than the safe approach consistently. If you get, you know, you hit on half of those guys, but they're much better than the other guys that were kind of a sure thing, mm-hmm. high floor uh, kind of situation in the first round. Elite players can take you to a different level than, you know, a smattering of of competent ones. Hey, everyone. I'm Ronan Summers, and I want to tell you about the Stat Sheet Podcast. Every Tuesday, you can hear me and my co-hosts break down the biggest games and analyze what's happening around the NFL. Follow the Stat Sheet Podcast on Twitter at the Stat Sheet Pod, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Parker. And I'm Robertson Vire, and we are the Odds on Favorite, presented by Boxcore Network. Every week, we analyze NFL point spreads, over-unders, props, futures, and much more. Follow us on Twitter, at Odds on Favorite, and listen on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, you mentioned corners, and that takes me right to mine here. Um... It, it kind of follows the theme of just keep it simple. If there's a really big and really fast corner with long arms, draft them. Um, case case closed. Uh, I think that's it. Um, you you look back at this draft, and you know maybe the guys with that had the best two of the best five seasons from the rookie class last year were obviously Sauce Gardner and Tariq Woolen. And you obviously look at those guys and you say, what's different about them than a Derek Stingley or a Marcus uh, Jones, Marcus Jones. And they're big, they're long, they're fast. And those are all pretty good skills to have. You look back at uh, mock draftables, right? You go and you go in there, you see some guys that have compared to those guys from a size perspective. Um, There's some misses. Don't get me wrong, but. There's there's definitely some hits and there I think there's just a high floor of that too. For the most part, you have your outliers, but your guy Xavier Rhodes is on here, right? Jamel Dean is a good corner in the NFL. Um, yeah, yeah. Eric, Eric Stokes is a guy that I think is still figuring some stuff out, but showed a little bit of promise in year two last year. Um, JC Horn is on this list. Patrick Pat Sertan's not too far off. Uh, very interestingly, Darius Rush, who was just drafted by the Colts this past year, is is very close to Tariq Woolen on mock draftables. Um, I'm I'm so excited. They might have drafted their two outside yep. corners for the next five years. This this draft. Yep. Um, yeah. So uh, so yeah, take big fast corners. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that hard hitting, real in depth analysis there? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good all, call. All fast guys. Yeah, go for stuff you can't teach, right? Um, because, you know, maybe you can round them out a little bit outside of that as a player. Um, I think that's what, you know, I, they they were, they were both very technically sound as well, the Ohio mm-hmm. State receivers coming out. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very solid route runners, great hands. Um, but what separated them from a lot of the rest of the class, in my opinion, was really their speed. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, for Wilson, how 
how agile he is. Chris Olave has that de- that deceptive, like just really smooth yep. striding long speed. Um, and I think, you know, that's it, it it's able to put them in position to use their actual skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, from that point, the, the the physical capabilities they have, like that that for me, you know, is probably the main divider between them and you know, it's probably the next group of guys with a guy like Jahan Dotson and um and and so on. And and Christian Watson is is more of that athletic ilk, uh, but he was just mm-hmm. so raw that yep. he was he was again a tier below. Um, but to to be that well rounded. Um, and and that sort of segues into uh, my next point, which yeah. is sort of sort of an- analytical of a, a a few year trend, I suppose now. Um, but this last draft is a great example of it as well. Is draft receivers often? Yes, and that might not be the 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 best like phrase to sum up what I'm trying to say, but uh, we just have been seeing so many NFL ready, immediately impactful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. receivers out of all positions. It seems like that is what we're getting the highest volume of. Um, running backs are sort of always that way if they're going to be good and they get any touches rookie year. You'll see. I mean, they're the the recent kind of kind of modern running back peak is like their first three or four seasons for the yep. most part. Um, average shelf life is two years for a for an NFL running back that gets drafted. And but with receivers, we've seen them just immediately explode. With I mean, of course, Justin Jefferson, but guys like Jamar Chase, um, mm-hmm. how quickly Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, we just mentioned, developed Devonte Smith. Uh, that we've seen recently and and these are guys who immediately catapult themselves to you know that top 10 conversation um and outside of that we're seeing the the more wide receiver two types if you want to call it that or uh you know just just less impactful immediately have still been really productive um that that second tier receivers had a great rookie season um we we saw other guys like that with, I mean, a guy I didn't even mention yet is, is Jalen Waddle out of that same class, mm-hmm. who's been unreal. Um, C.D. Lamb was good right away. It's it's just been like, I don't know. And I haven't done the math on it or anything. It just seems to me like we're getting a very high volume of NFL-ready players at wide receiver. So if you even are thinking about one, um, that that's a position that I feel like the way – the college game is starting to evolve. Yep. Um, I think that contributes to that starting to be more the case. We're getting a lot more high volume passing offenses in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's translating to NFL ready players at that position. And it's been ludicrously valuable to a lot of contending teams recently. Um, I mean, Justin Jefferson has carried us to wins. Uh, Jamar Chase pairing him up with Joe Burrow, and it was a big thing. Do we do we go Jamar Chase or or Penny Sewell? Yep. Um, and I mean, they've had their offensive line issues, but I think they're happy with that choice um, because he was huge day one, um, and and needed very little development. He had the physical tools, he had the chemistry with their quarterback. Um, but that's just something I've I've come to notice and especially looking back at some of these classes it's like wow 
you know, you're getting some real game changers at wide receiver. And, and a lot of them have been drafted early on from the blue bloods. Um, and, and I think we're just starting to see it kind of start to reflect the NFL game and, um, and it's become a more and more valuable position at the NFL level as well. So I, I think for all those reasons, that's, that's one to pull the trigger on if, if it's at all a need. Yeah. I, I love that one. Um, you know, you mentioned how the game is changing at the college level. I'll, I'll also look at both high school and the pros as we mm-hmm. in, in the NFL game are continuing to lighten the the players the formations that are out there offensively 11 personnel is base offense now right so you need three receivers and you need injury protection so you need four you need four real guys and with the amount of times that we're passing the ball now that just means there's more opportunity for those guys to eat it's why there's more guys in the nba who can average 20 points per game on a team because there's more shots to go around because we're shooting more and we're shooting more threes Mm -hmm. um and then you go down to the high school game and it's not just high school football where, you know, the wide receiver two down are just having to block most of the game and not really learning how to be a, a professional type route runner and separator and receiver until they go to college. We have these guys in seven on seven camps from the time that they're what, 12, 13, 14 years old, learning real routes, learning real skills. So to your point of, coming in ready to go not only is there more of them but they're learning how to do those things so much earlier on uh, wide receiver is i think such a important position to draft pretty frequently because of the fact that you do always need three really at all times to be that could be on the field um mm-hmm. and you look at this draft that we just had also you know you you mentioned that that absolutely loaded class but you go here and and you've got the big ones that we've already mentioned um, you've got Jameson Williams, Chris Olave. We haven't even mentioned Drake London yet. You've got Garrett Wilson, Jahan Dotson, Traylon Burks. Round two, Christian Watson, uh, George Pickens, Alec Pierce. I mean, you go all the way to round four, Romeo Dubs, uh, Khalil Shakur in round five. Looked like he can do a little something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this 2023 class feels maybe not the same top-level talent, but equally loaded from a depth standpoint, rounds one through seven. Um yep. I love this one. I think I think this is a great one um, because it is a position that's just on the up and up. Yeah, it, yeah, it really seems that way. And like my my sort of philosophy that and uh, my my colleague and I on unnecessary roughness were just doing basically a uh, uh, we had a third host with us. We were doing a fantasy draft for basically each conference where mm-hmm. the three of us would draft from that conference see how the teams stack up. Um, and when I was thinking about that stuff, I feel like the the trenches on either side of the ball is sort of what the quality of those units kind of sets your floor. Yep. Um, but then I feel like the, the playmakers, and a lot of times that's receivers uh, more so than running backs, uh, really kind of determine what the ceiling of that team is along with the, with the quarterback. Um, and I, th- I think we've seen that bear out in especially the last couple of, uh, big games, you're seeing just really high level weapons, um, with, with quarterbacks who can make plays. And that's obviously not, uh, some crazy groundbreaking, right. uh, <laughs> dance, but you know, it's, it's something that like, 
that's sort of how, what I figure when I'm going through any type of like draft process mm-hmm. or, or really even just conceptualizing the makeup of a team. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love the, the floor and ceiling comment. The trenches it establishes your floor because if you have a horrible offensive line, your offense isn't going to get to do anything. If you have a horrible defensive line, you're just going to get run over and get no pass rush. But just having either of those things isn't going to get you a Super Bowl. You need you do need the playmakers as much as, you know, I love to talk about the offensive line here on this podcast. But um, no, I think that's I think that's a great one. That one's a lot of fun. Uh, let's talk flip and talk about a position that is not so much on the up and up. This is probably the next one here after running backs. That's going to have something to say, although they got paid this offseason off ball linebackers. Um, I love this position as a Steeler fan. I, but I also understand how, why it's a bit of a dying breed. There's very different ways you can go about this position, which I still think makes it really vital and interesting. Um, but my lesson from 2022 is just don't judge rookie off-ball linebackers until at least the second half of the season, and sometimes even after that. We had two guys go in the first round last year: Devin Lloyd and Quay Walker. Um, mm-hmm. both guys. If you watch just their first, let's say, eight games and then you watch their last nine games, you would think that you were watching year one and year three with no other context. Um, There's so much to process as an off-ball linebacker and the speed of the game you have to get adjusted to. It's it's almost like – being almost like being a tight end where you both have to get better as a receiver at the NFL level all of a sudden and as a blocker. These guys are getting better and they have to get better in the passing game. They have to get better in the run game. They have to become better tacklers. They they have a lot they have to do and and get up to speed on, especially right there in the middle. It's not like being a corner or an edge rusher. You have your side. It's not like being a safety or all the way in the back. It's not like being a defensive tackle. You're right there plugging up the middle you have to do a little bit of everything. And it's it's such a huge learning curve and adjustment. And I thought both guys got much, much better. I think uh, I'd be interested to hear what you think, but I think Devin Lloyd looked better by the end of the year than Quay Walker, but Walker was definitely coming along as well. Um, mm-hmm. So just for, for these linebackers this year and moving forward, Jack Campbell, Drew Sanders, Trent Simpson, any of these other guys, uh, don't, don't worry about those first eight games if things aren't going well, if they're on your team or you just are a fan of them. Uh, wait till the end of the season to really come up with your evaluation of them. Yeah, yeah, and there's so many, yeah, there's so many things you have to read as as an off-ball linebacker, the way offenses are running these days. And that, that I think, even can be the case when, uh, when linebackers switch teams or switch teams. Mm-hmm year to year, especially if you've got the green dot on your helmet and, and you're getting directive from the coaching staff, relaying that to, to the rest of the guys that can be really tough. Uh, that can have you thinking instead of reacting. Um, and I think, you know, there was a lot of discourse, uh, in, in the Vikings fandom about, uh, you know, Eric Kendricks being walked Mm -hmm. quote unquote, Mm -hmm last year um because the the second level of defense got gashed and Mm -hmm. i think it was more so the the play calling the positions these two guys were put in and it was also a brand new defensive scheme Mm -hmm. uh you went from you know this uh this mike zimmer cover seven uh four-man front and which is 
So, I mean, it's it's kind of Saban-like almost, um, and it's more more similar to what Brian Flores is going to bring. You went from that to uh, Ed Donatel, who comes from the Fangio tree. Um, we're seeing odd fronts. We're seeing Daniil Hunter rushing out of a two-point stance and dropping into the flat more than we want to. We're not blitzing Harrison Smith or even disguising with Harrison Smith. We're sitting in a two-high shell. Um we're we're playing quarters, we're playing quarter, quarter, half, and suddenly we're, you know, we're one the one thing if the one thing that if nothing else we weren't leading up to this season, we were in 2022, and that was predictable on the mm-hmm. defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh the Vikings the the year prior were first in sacks uh, or second in sacks or something under Zimmer and the, the leading sack getter had like eight and a half mm-hmm. or something. It was all just scheme throwing crap at yeah. you. We got super predictable. Um, and it put a lot of the onus on Eric Kendricks over the middle. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he was any slower. I think his reaction time was slower. Mm-hmm. I don't think he lost a step. I think he mm-hmm. had, to, I think he was kind of set back by uh, the new scheme. Now he's going to the, to the chargers with Staley, who is Fangio-like. I think he'll be better this year, actually, than last, and I don't think it was a sign of decline necessarily yet. And you kind of see that, too, when guys transition to the NFL. It's a whole new thing. If nothing else, it's probably a, a little bit more complex. Yeah. Uh, you're seeing a, a, a wider array of looks from opposing offenses. Um, and so, you know, physically – they, they could be great. They might not look as fast as they did in college, but that's not because they're not running as fast. It, it's probably just the processing. And I think that's mm-hmm. why you see such a big jump after the first, what'd you say, six, eight games yep. in is where you're like, you know, you don't have the ne- necessarily the jitters of, mm-hmm. you know, I gotta, I gotta watch out for this. You know, I gotta, I gotta push the three receiver if he, if he breaks vertical, but then I also, what if it's a run? Like, all that is going to start to come at least a little bit more naturally to where you can rely on your instincts um, and, and lean into what kind of makes you great in the first place and uh, and really take off. So that's a long-winded way of uh, agreeing with you, but I, I think off-ball linebackers kind of an interesting spot too. You know, it's just um, relatively unsung uh, for the most part. And um, it's, it's also a position that I think has been maligned a little bit by the evolution of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you know that now now you have to be able to cover uh now you can't really trot out these 255 pound downhill mm-hmm. run up in linebackers um so you know lance briggs would be have his hand in the dirt if he if yeah he was, oh yeah oh yeah screaming like, off the edge screaming. you know so <laughs> yeah no I, I like that one a lot Listen, John, you never have to apologize. Long-winded and agreeing with me are the ways to come back to this podcast. So <laughs> great, great job. Uh, you passed the test. Way to go. Um, all right, that was fun. Th- those were our lessons from the 2022 NFL draft. Now let's get a little bit crazy. We're going to hop right into our redraft. Again, this is going to be a little bit collaborative, but also I, I, I'll, I'll be excited to hear the direction John wants to go with his picks. Um, John wants the chance to draft for Minnesota. I also want him to draft for Pittsburgh anyways for me. Um, you guys hear me talk about what the Steelers should do enough on this pod. We'll let someone else do it. So I'm going to take the first pick. And this is a little nerve wracking. This is a little crazy. Uh, I think it's a pretty clear answer, especially because I think Jacksonville still has a hole here. Um, 
but I don't know the lot. Oh, there's a lot of pressure on. I'm starting. I'm starting to feel what the teams feel when that clock starts. So, with the first overall pick the, in this 2022 NFL redraft, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to take Sauce Gardner, the defensive rookie of the year. Again, a position that you know, yes, need isn't. We we already talked about it. It's not the thing you should do, but they still have an issue at corner. They have an issue taking the ball away. Um, while I like Trayvon Walker and I like some of these edge rushers and do think it's something they need. Uh, I think sauce was by far and away the best rookie uh, on the field last year. And I don't even think it's really a question. Um, so I'm going to go with sauce Gardner here. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, it, yeah, it, that's, that's one of those things. It's like we were talking about, they've got, they had holes all over the place. Um, so why not just take, Probably the best player in the class, at least the one who had the best season in year one. And yeah, I am on board with that. Is this who you would have taken or were, would you have board. stuck with an edge rusher for them here? I was pretty torn. I might have gone. I might have gone Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I it was really between Thibodeau, Sauce and Hutch for me. Yeah. Um, and it probably went in that order, at least off off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I like that one a lot. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, just a little bit about positional value because I mean, yeah, edge can have a, but you know, a lockdown cornerback is in that in that tier as well. I think. Um, yeah. So with number two, I think I'm going to still take. I think I'll still take Hutchinson actually um i think you know i think thibodeau there's a chance he has a slightly higher ceiling but hutchinson doesn't get enough credit for how much bend he has Mm -hmm. quickness he has um and he's also got an absolute big boy frame um i I think he's gonna have a long career yeah yeah this was when I was doing an uh, this as an exercise yesterday, um, and I was trying to go through and kind of map out what I thought made sense. This was the one guy I was like, I don't think I can take this guy from the team he went to. You know, we said we're not going to worry too much about this, but I think from a cultural standpoint, it's just too perfect yeah. him being in but Detroit also. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, if you're really splitting hairs, like, let's go with the Michigan kid, right? Right, exactly. Um, all right, number three here. This was another guy I think had a sneaky chance at number one in real time. He um, was, was definitely rumored at one point uh, that Coach Doug Peterson wanted to go this way. The Texans have two first-round picks. They took this position uh, in real life with the 15th pick. Uh, But I'm going to go on the offensive line here for Houston, and I'm going to take Iki Aquanu. I'm going to just completely lock down that left side. And actually, just yesterday while I was doing this, I was like, okay, I'll put him at left guard next to Laramie Tunsil. And if the Texans decide not to extend Titus Howard, then he can kick out to tackle in a couple of years. Well, today, actually, in fact, the Wednesday, the 26th, as we record this, Titus Howard did get a contract extension. But you know what? Let me just go ahead and lock down who could potentially be the best guard in the league for like a decade and in, in a few years, if that was the position he was going to end up being in. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Ikemaquanu here for Houston at three. What'd you think of that one? I like that one a lot. Um, Icky is my o, o- lineman one in this class. Uh, I was mm-hmm. I was gonna categorize it uh, 
further, but yeah, I, you know, I think I had him over Linderbaum. I liked him better than Evan Neal. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think he just has, he has that like tenacity that can separate some guys that size from other guys Mm -hmm. that size. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know I like that one a lot, and I like the the fit too because he played he played both guard and tackle on the left side in yep. college, um, and and next to Tunsil would just be. Can you uh, imagine that left side? Like, forget like a third round running back. Like you or I could run through a hole on the left side uh, yep. of Houston's O line if if those two were next to each other. I that would be. Yep. That would and be I think much. I like Kenyon Green. I think it'll be better in year two. I do too. Yep, it was a little disappointing in year one, but I yeah I think Iki Aquano is a is a different animal in that department. So I like that one a lot. Um, number four here, it is. I had my who was four? Uh the New York Jets. Jets. The Jets, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was Sauce Gardner. So we have it was team Sauce that Gardner. officially is missing their guy. Hey, they're missing their guy. Um I like some of the ancillary pieces in this secondary already. Um and I think like it's tough. I think I'm still gonna I think I'm gonna go Garrett Wilson. Okay. I think he I think he's he's probably the best receiver out of this class. Certainly looked that way year one. Um and I think I like I like him as a receiver a little bit better than I like a, a Tariq Woolen, which is who I was thinking of just yep, right was, in where Sauce was playing. That was uh, the exact dilemma yeah. I had when I kind of walking through it. It's like, okay, you can replicate to about 90% what sauce gave you this year or in a version of this exercise where you call all 32 NFL owners and GMs and say, Hey, we're redrafting all these guys be there. Mm-hmm. And you just make them do it. The jets sitting here losing sauce would be like, well, we can't lose Garrett Wilson right there. There's a little bit right. of that. So yep. do you go with the cornerback replacement? You said they already addressed uh, the defensive back room in the free agency prior to this year, they got Jordan Whitehead, they got DJ Reed. They obviously have a good front. Go ahead and lock down that receiver. Um, that that was so big for you. I think that's a good pick. Yeah, yeah, um, it work. All right, so I've got the other New York team here at five. And man, part of me, dang, I'll be honest, I I wanted Garrett Wilson here for the Giants. That's tough. Um. All right, so I think now we get into does a very similar question. Does this team kind of go for keeping their guy, which I think, you know, in, in Kayvon Thibodeau, do they kind of lock that back down here? Or do they take a look at, you know, we've had these conversations about these receivers, and I think Chris Olave would be pretty enticing here. Um, but is he really a guy that can his value outweigh that of Kayvon Thibodeau, I think is the question. If if this were you, is this where you'd go ahead and keep Kayvon Thibodeau and not let him slide any further? I think I would, but I also might pull the woolen trigger here because they were really thin. Yeah, at- he'd be a great um, fit with Wink Martindale too. I mean, it's it's uh, Dory Jackson, and then it was like Fabian Moreau was yeah. on the outside boundary. <laughs> Cordell Flott uh, got, Cordell a of, Flott. got a lot of run. Yeah, it was playing That's... some big Flott as a rookie. 
and that's uh, really interesting. That might move. The, I feel like that might move the needle a little bit. I more. like that. I like that. I because yeah, he's just such a perfect fit. That that length and that speed, that pressability, um, and that wing yeah. part though defense. I'm gonna go with that. I like that one. Tariq Woolen is gonna go here to the Giants at five. I'm gonna hope Carolina doesn't need my edge rusher, um, but we'll see what happens. So. New York at five takes Tariq Woolen. I think easily safe to say going to be the biggest riser we have. Um, what is your pick here at six for the Carolina Panthers, who the second team that has lost their guy in Ike Aquanu? Yeah, so I was uh, – and, you know, your your brain immediately goes to, like, next tackle up mm-hmm. um, that position. Um, but – you know, I think what I'm gonna do is is I am gonna go with with Thibodeau here because you know there's the uh, unless I'm forgetting about somebody, it's just Yatur Gross Matos opposite Brian Burns on the edge, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I think I think shoring up that. Pass rush, I think it'll give more opportunity to Brian Burns. You've obviously got Derek Brown in the middle. It'll it'll help keep some double teams off of him potentially, and you get a little bit quicker. Um, Matos a little labor. What do you think of that one? To kind of, I mean, that's fun. That like that's just fun. The Panthers, I think, in twenty twenty, looked like that defense that was going to be on the rise. They made a lot of splash plays, and then the last year plus have kind of plateaued a little bit. And now with Ajiro Evero coming in at DC, if then you could tell me, oh, also we're going to plug Kayvon Thibodeau into this, that would that would be monster. That would be. I think the only other thing you could do here is take one of these left tackles. Um, but to, yeah. to your point of just like, okay, what can we make this defense if we're going to do this? Um, I think that's I think that's pretty sick. So I don't I don't mind that at all. Well, especially in a ret- with a ret- with a retrospective lens, I like this tackle class as a whole. I think the tackle mm-hmm. class is really deep. Yep. So like I was thinking, you know, it's I mean it's obviously Neil and Cross kind of right in this next right uh, group. And I don't know. I I mean I like the next I I like the following tier of guys as well. And I Abraham think Abraham Lucas goes in the. I think he went in the third round. Uh, Zach Jackson Tom goes Jones, in the fourth round. I, there's, Tom, uh, there's some good ones. Penning, Penning went in the first, but I mean yep. he's solid. He was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's yeah, there's a lot of guys. Jamari Salyer ended up playing left oh. tackle. Oh my boy! Oh um, my gosh! There's been a lot know. of Jamari Salyer talk on this podcast. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right, so Thibodeau to Carolina. Go get a tackle in round two. I like it. Um, the Giants are back up here at seven. Oh, man, I think I'm going to pull the Chris Olave trigger for this team. I think they desperately need – because here's – think back to what we were doing last year for this team. We were going into Daniel Jones's final year of his contract and thinking, okay, they're just going to run through him and they're going to build through the transfers in the draft. They're going to reset this thing for the next quarterback. Fast forward to now and they're paying him $40 million a year. Knowing that now, it might be nice to go get a wide receiver one, go get a real weapon. Um, and although 
I like getting the offensive lineman for the quarterback and Evan Neal. Um, you know, they have Andrew Thomas. They went and got Mark Lewinsky. They have pieces on this offensive line still, and I don't think that drop-off from Neal to whoever they might need to play at tackle now for this in particular season is going to be too big of a deal. They still need to work on that line. Uh, mm-hmm. But the ability to go get a Chris Olave. I think could really unlock Daniel Jones and make that investment a lot better. So I'm going to pull that wide receiver trigger here um, and take Chris Olave for the Giants. So they get Tariq Woolen and Chris Olave at five and seven instead of Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal. Um, what do you think about that one for the Giants? I like that a lot. I think it's the same, you know, same thing as the Woolen choice. You you like, you know, the tackle duo you have going forward for sure. But uh, you look at how thin they are at receiver. I mean, it's Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton, and those guys are fine. Um, but you're right. You, you, you've got Darren Waller in the building, uh, which won't have happened yet. But, um, you know, it's – I think, yeah, you'd look back uh, or, or look forward, as you mentioned, to this new contract mm-hmm. with a guy like Olave that he's able to kind of grow with. Um, I think I think you feel better about that. And Brian Dable's – uh, run blocking scheme is is such that that offensive line is going to be better on grass than it is on paper mm-hmm. either way. Yep. Um, yep. The, I mean, he puts him in, in great positions to succeed. Um, so I, yeah, I like going with, with some playmakers and, and thinking about the trenches a little bit later, because I think the depth might be superior in that, in that department as well of this class. We're going to be battling for these offensive linemen around too, but we don't have to worry about that tonight. <laughs> yeah, <luckily. that's> great. <laughs> All right, take us to our number eight pick here, the Atlanta Falcons. What do you got? So the uh, the Falcons went Drake London here, mm-hmm. um, which is which was a good pick. Um, and they're so thin on the edge, yeah, and trenches in general. Um, but I don't care that much about that. Because I'm gonna take I I I would I would vie to take George Pickens right here. Oh, I'm I wasn't gonna oh, tell you pre show like and I wasn't gonna tell you like enough <laughs> of this, but I'm ridiculously high on George Pickens. <laughs> I like it. I definitely had him rising um into the first round for sure. Um you like okay. him more than Jamison Williams, Drake London, Jahan Dotson. Let's see who else went ahead of him. Christian Watson. You like him better than all those guys. I think he's significantly better than all those guys. I love it. I love it. I do. I I mean, you look, his highlights look like that, that, uh, that Brandon Lloyd season in Mm. Denver where he was just making all these ridiculous catches. Um, or or his career highlights, but you mm-hmm, you look at mm-hmm. the highlights from what we've seen of George Pickens to this point. Some of the catches he's made in real NFL games look like like somebody's career highlights. They look like Chris Carter highlights. I mean, it's just some ridiculous catches. It, I mean, it looks like it has to have been like I think he had like fifty five catches or something. Uh huh. Uh huh. And like twenty percent of those had to have been some of the some of the most ridiculous catches I've ever seen in my life, 
and uh, I'm 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 drawn to that for sure, like a moth to a flame. But um, I think he's got it all. I think he's got the swagger, the way he's able to block, um, the way he's able to win at the catch point. Um, I think he's an a, a, a underrated route runner. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's sort of the only thing that I feel like separates. Wilson Olave from a George Pickens is probably their refinement as, as route runners. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think P- Pickens ceiling is as high as any of those guys I mentioned before him in this class. And I, I would like taking a swing for Atlanta there. I, and I think he, he brings some of that, you know, I like the London and Pitts big body, go get it. Mm-hmm. Duo. I, I like that idea. Um, but I also like thinking about what Pickens could bring to the Arthur Smith run game mm-hmm. block, mm-hmm. Um, or, or on jet sweeps. And so I, I don't know. I like that one a lot. Uh, yeah. We're going to have to take a break here in a minute. You got me, you get me all fired up. I love that. <laughs> That's great. Um, I love hearing people talk about George Pickens. I've, I've really tried to stay close to the ground on the George Pickens thing. Um, because I've obviously been through this the cycle of Steelers receivers coming in and and just kind of cycling their way out, being being good, but cycling their way out, doing what they what they're brought in to do. Um, so I'm trying to stay calm, but uh, yeah, the the potential for Pickens is just crazy. And yeah, you factor in like the reason Atlanta went with a Drake London instead of a Jameson Williams was that big body aspect, right? He's going to, he can block a little bit. He's going to be able to box some people out a little bit. Like that's the style they wanted. Pickens isn't as thick as Drake London, not quite as strong, but every bit as physical and, and ever twice as explosive, I think. So I, I love that. I think that's a great pick. Um, and it's a ton of fun. You know, everyone wanted Atlanta to take a Georgia player for or, or a guy from Georgia for, for the last few years, and they yeah. finally do it. Yeah, I'm all um, about them in state. Like yeah, you got to uh, – I love that. Gosh, I'm not going to be able to focus now the rest of the way. So number nine here, Seattle Seahawks. Um, I did not expect Charles Cross to really make it. I, I did what you kind of thought about at six for Carolina where I was working through this, and I was like, okay, Aki is not going to be there. They take mm-hmm. Charles Cross. Um that's the that's the O-line favoritism there in my head. Uh, so it, for me, for Seattle here, it comes down to two guys. It's him and it's Trayvon Walker. Um, for Seattle, we know how big of an issue that front seven was last year. I think he'd be a good fit in that new 3-4 scheme that they switched to last year as well. Similar to you talking mm-hmm. about Minnesota because he has that uh, run-stopping ability on the edge even as a stand-up basically outside linebacker, uh, but coming from a D end's ability and size. So I do think he would be a really good fit there, but I think because of the state of the rest of that offensive line, like the tackles were just too important to that O line and still are for Seattle and what they want to unlock in the running game. And uh, for how much they were able to figure out what Gino was for them last year. I, I think Charles cross is still going to be the pick here at nine, not what I was expecting to happen, but um, I, I, I think that's going to be too hard to pass up. Yeah. I think that's where I would go to, to be honest. Um, cross is my next favorite tackle mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I, I think that is, is more of a needle mover, uh, for you year one, if he hits and, uh, 
granted, I mean, coming into this draft, they thought they were on their way into a big old rebuild, uh, oh, yeah. but they actually came back better with Geno. So, yeah, I, I like the value taking a, an O-lineman, especially on the blind side, and Cross being as NFL-ready of a pass blocker in particular as he was. Um, I, I think that's the way to go. Hello, everybody. Brandon Tim here telling you all to listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise, a podcast giving you the insights to help you win your fantasy football leagues. Together, we will look at everything fantasy football, from the platforms we use to navigating weekly player projections. Listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise, a Box Score Network podcast. We'll see you at the next episode. John, go uh, ahead and take us to our next pick here at 10, back around to the New York Jets. All right, so we got we got Wilson mm-hmm. at four. Um, and I think, you know, even looking, even looking back on this season, what I think will be a real needle mover, potentially, well, you know what, actually? I think I'm going to go – I think I'd like to go with George Karlaftis. Ooh, okay. Make the case. Make the case. Uh, he, okay. he's, he's kind so, of hard he, – he's still hard for me to judge on how his season was. But, yeah, make the case. So he was kind of like, like a Devin Lloyd where he really came on in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he still ended up with like six sacks. Um. He's a really strong – I think he's more of a Salah defensive end yeah. than Trayvon Walker. I think uh, – I think I don't think Trayvon Walker's versatility would be as valuable in that, you know, just yep. even front, uh, you know, drop seven stuff. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, pressure with four, the stuff Salah really likes to, to, to do. Um, and I think – and I think he's probably the best run stopper – on the edge, even though I like Trayvon Walker in that department, mm-hmm. uh, but but combined with a little bit of that technical refinement that you don't see with Walker, I'm open to being convinced though to, you know, uh, like I I wouldn't hate I I teetered on McDuffie here, um, Stingley wouldn't suck here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think he could be a little better in a solid defense than a Lovey Smith defense maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know what, like they they ended up needing. Uh, I mean, we could go guard opposite AVT. I would, uh-huh. you know, I wouldn't hate. Uh, I wouldn't hate I going. Would, Tyler Smith would be interesting. Evan Neal Tyler would be Smith interesting. Would be interesting. Now uh, I would. I ended up. Yeah, being... I'm willing to be swayed for sure. But I I was thinking edge, and then I I I sort of just went back and forth with Walker and Carlaftis. See, the Jets, and it's so funny to say this because for us growing up, it was not this way. But the last five years or so, from a roster building standpoint, the Jets are in a good spot. They could have done so many things in this draft. And the fact that they got yeah. three first round picks that look like they're all going to be hits is pretty incredible. So, I mean, yeah, you could go with a defensive bat. I mean, you could even, they, they, lost the, I know they brought in Jordan Whitehead this year. They lost, uh, Marcus May, who went down to New Orleans in this offseason. Um, 
But like you could even throw a Kyle Hamilton in this defense and just let Kyle him Hamilton just like be a star and and Rex. So you you could do I might, anything. I might like Kyle Hamilton even more. Yeah. That's like a souped up. I mean, think think what Jimmy Ward was for the Niners all those years. That's a souped up version of oh, exactly. Jimmy. You you can do, exactly. but you can do okay. anything here. I don't think I from a a like this this is where your big lesson of like don't overthink it. Like just get the guy that that works for you and your team versus yeah. the draft boards is interesting because I would still lean more Walker because I think. To your point of Karloftis, if I'm going to go with the edge guy, Walker being 80% the run stopper, 50% the technician, um, but 110% the potential would still make me lean that way. Um, and I do, I think your your point about the solid defense is interesting for Karloftis versus Walker. I think both could find success, but I yeah. think, and I think it is are- easy. Go ahead. They still aren't quite as legitimate either. Like I think I I have a hard time like like not thinking about like Rogers is coming yeah. to where <laughs> like like I'm thinking like uh like win now almost. Yep. Um. But yeah, you know you're right because uh that is exactly what I was talking about. Um. I, I think again, to, I, to like point, I think you could more. do anything. I think you could do anything. Really? Yeah. Especially when you've got Wilson short up. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Uh, let's go, Kyle Hamilton. I like it. I think that would be. I think that would be awesome. Cause, I mean, right now it's like Michael Carter the second in the slot for the most mm-hmm. part. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean that that's a huge upgrade when he's in the overhang, and you can obviously do a lot of fun um, disguise kind of stuff with him. Um, he can play he can play a little center field like yeah i think that's i think that brings you just as much value early on as it potentially does down the road yeah, um, yeah that's a that's a so cool. well, yeah the jets are a lot of fun to talk about actually and um, we didn't get and we didn't get a sauce so i mean we could yeah. we could use some help in the secondary yeah I think, and that's still a really well rebuilt secondary on the fly, and in, in one offseason yeah. for them. So that's a, that's a good one. That that's a fun one. Uh, let's hit the Saints next here. I have them at eleven. They traded up into this pick. They took Chris Olave in the real draft. He is not available here. Oh man, the Saints, the Saints. What do you? You're you're really good with this defensive back stuff. What do you think about Derek Stingley here in this defense? I think about the guys they've drafted over the last couple of years, and, and we've mentioned the college connections, right? The LSU guy, but but thinking about what they've gone for in terms of um, Paulson Adebo and Alante Taylor, I think Stingley could fit that mold. I think he'd be a good fit for a Dennis Allen defense. What what do you think about that potential fit? Yeah, I mean they, they like guys who are are able to mix it up at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Marshawn Lattimore is probably one of the better man or, or press man corners even in, yeah. in the league. Um, he's been doing that at a very high level. Um, and I think you can mirror that skill set a little bit with Derek Stingley. And mm-hmm. you're also coming in with the pedigree. Um, but it's also going to be a situation where he kind of still has to win that job which I think is a good environment for him to step into, come in and earn it, beat out Paulson Adebo. Mm-hmm. You can't beat out Paulson Adebo. You're a five-star recruit. 
You were yep. you know, the, the number one cornerback in the nation for however many seasons. Best freshman year of all time, if you want to mm-hmm. um, get into that. No, and, and I think he probably would be I, – I like going corner for them a lot. Um, I don't like uh, any of the receivers left. I don't think I like enough. Yeah. To take mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this, I mean, they still had Marcus Davenport. We weren't sure about where he was going. They got Cam Jordan. Um, you could go a line here. You could go with an Evan Neal because their guys get, tend to get hurt a lot, but I don't think it was such a glaring need that it needed to happen here at 11 either. I think, I think doing what they did with penning at what was it? It ended up being 19 was good because it was like, okay, yep. he could redshirt, but he is still enough pedigree to play if, if two or three guys get hurt. Yeah, you you just you mean you just lost Taron Armstead, but that doesn't mean you have to panic. We just talked about how much we like that that depth at tackle. Yeah, I like Stingley. I like McDuffie a lot. Um mm-hmm. I think vacuum I might like him more than Stingley. Uh but but I do like Stingley to the Saints here. And I think I think they're you know they're fine on the interior of that offensive line for the most mm-hmm. part, Ruiz and um, and the center's name was escaping me. Is uh, Eric McCoy. Eric, Eric McCoy. McCoy. And then good, I like Andrews him. Pete is the other guard if he can ever stay healthy, which you know Andrews doesn't Pete. doesn't tend to happen. But contract looks ugly these days, but he's good when he's there. Um, yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Let's go Stingley. Right, cool. We'll go Stingley at twelve to the New Orleans Saints. Let's go to you here for twelve in Detroit who traded into this pick in real life for one Jameson Williams, who is still available. So what are you going to do here? Yeah, um, I'm I'm considering staying pat with J-Will for sure. Um, I the, the Lions have one of the better offensive lines in football. Yep. At, at a, well, I mean, we could, we could think about a right guard, but, I mean, from Decker to Jonah Jackson to Frank Ragnow to Penne, it's mm-hmm. a great unit. Mm-hmm. That's not a glaring need. Um, this is a this is sort of a clean sn- clean slate. We're just biting kneecaps or whatever we're doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I I mean I'm considering Carlaftis here as well. Um, mm-hmm. Walker really. Uh, we could go either way. We but we we just went Hutch and i don't know if he'll i don't know if he'll quite sniff the first round so i might i might just throw his name out we we got james houston got like guys i was wondering when james houston's name was going to get brought up because he is on my (laughs) list of about 40 names here where you have to get the bubble yeah yeah Um, but i i like mcduffie here actually okay i like that um you know, they, 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 they were sort of still in the Jeff Akuta experiment, the Monterey experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I think he's playing slot day one, even with that personnel. Yep. Um, and, and obviously would be would be starting on one boundary or another coming into this season. What do you think awesome. of McDuffie? I, I like that. I like that. I, I had a real affinity for this run of, like, corners out of Washington over yeah. these last three, four seasons. Just yeah, like, we when just Elijah got Molden came out. I was into that. Mm-hmm. I was who's the other uh who's the other guy? Uh Byron well Kyler Gordon. Who was the one you said? Byron Murphy. Byron Murphy. Uh yeah, there's just uh, oh, it feels uh, like it's Teddy Jones. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jones Washington, yep. right? That's another one. Yeah, there it just like just yeah. chalk it up. There's a guy on the Browns. 
that was under uh, not not Emerson. Um, their other young guy that they, oh, uh, Newsom, Greg Newsom. Newsom? I think so. I think so. He might be. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. There was just a run where every year I looked at it and I was like, okay, well, I guess I just need to mark down a Washington corner. So yeah, I'm into this. I think this is solid. Yeah. I think this is a good fit. Um, And, you know, to everything we said about receiver earlier, you'd need three at all times. So really, you need four. Same thing for corner. So I I think this is a good pick. Yep. And, and one of the trends too, with, with those guys, it's a cover three, it's been a cover three defense at Washington for the longest time. And it's really zone heavy, but guys like Byron Murphy and McDuffie have come into the league and really proven that they can play man coverage at a high level, um, which, which has been great. And McDuffie seemed like a slot kind of archetype, but he's done great on the boundary. I think it's a, I think it's a great addition. And I think, uh, you know that it is kind of interesting how I I always end up kind of picking up on those things too when you're like the same position is coming out of this school every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the, any of the graphics or anything for like Notre Dame mm-hmm. uh, tight end or uh, Notre Dame uh, Iowa tight ends? Oh yeah 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 it's nuts. like they've had a they've had a pro drafted for like nine straight years or something. <laughs> oh my like gosh. That. yeah. Somewhat like that, but I love that. No, yeah, that's great. Um, all right. Speaking of uh, teen colleges that just make pros, let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles, where I could talk about a couple, couple Georgia guys here. Um, obviously, the easy thing would to do would be just to say Jordan Davis. We're gonna stick with that here. Um, but kind of knowing what I know now. In terms of, okay, I'm going to get Jalen Carter in a year and we're super cheating at this point, but you know, (laughs) can we get a little, can we get a little crazy? Can we do some, so the Eagles, I want to keep to one thing that the Eagles do uh, in the first round and they've only drafted a receiver, an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, or I don't even know if, uh, or a quarterback in the first round and the whole time that this iteration of the front office has been there. Um, so I'm definitely sticking to that. I don't need an offensive lineman. It'd be interesting to take an Evan Neal and just kind of see where he could fit in eventually. Um, but Jordan Davis is obviously on my mind. Trayvon Walker here is definitely on my mind for a lot of all the same reasons that they actually took Jordan Davis. I think this would be a good spot for Trayvon Walker, but I also want to know what you think about going to the other side of the ball and just going all out on this wide receiver unit. And taking a Jameson Williams here. I mean, you think about their number three right now is Quez Watkins. Mm-hmm. Devonta Smith, Jameson Williams, AJ Brown trio with what Jalen Hurts can do throwing the ball deep. That you you talk about swing for the fences. I mean, that's something that I think would be really, really interesting. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um they do love having like hockey lines on the defensive line. Yep. As far as you know, how fresh they keep those guys. Oh yeah. Um, Sweat and Graham and Reddick and, but uh, so that I mean that feels like a thing they would do. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, if we yeah, I like Jay Will. I like Jay Will. It is. He would be the Quez Watkins, but like, you know, a little faster. Really good Quez Watkins. <laughs> Better, better at other stuff than being yeah. fast. Um, yeah, no, I, I like that one. I'm very intrigued by that one. None of the old things make sense, um, especially before they lost to Sayamalo. Yep. 
So, so yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm. Well, let, let's just go all out. Let's have some fun. Um, if if they knew now what they knew, or if they knew then what they know now, and they know in the Super Bowl the pass rush isn't gonna work out anyways because of the field, <laughs> you might as well just take another receiver and help out Jalen Hurts. So James that's, Williams that's is the pick here to the Eagles at 13. Um, the bane of my existence in every draft. What the Baltimore Ravens do. Um because it's always good and it's always very frustrating. While you think I'll, I'll tell the story again, I've said it on this podcast a couple of times, the joy in my, the fear in my heart, I felt when Jordan Davis was falling to 14, because I was just, I was thinking about Haloti Nada for 10 years of my life, being the nose tackle in Baltimore and just seeing that again. And then for the joy for when the Eagles traded up and took them. And then the fear in my heart again when it was Kyle Hamilton going to Baltimore instead. I was like, well, I don't feel all that much better. Um, Now, I don't have to worry about Kyle Hamilton, but Jordan Davis is here for Baltimore. Uh, So what are you going to do here at 14? So something I want to do, but it's only only with hindsight because at, at this juncture, we've still got Ben Powers. We've still got Kevin Zeitler. Um, and if, if if I'm not mistaken, we still have Bradley Bozeman at center, or did he? This was the free agency he left, but I think at this point they still could have retained him. Okay, yeah. I think uh, he was a later signing to Carolina. Yeah, because last year was his first year in Carolina. Yep. That's right, okay. Um so that I mean, and that's that's what I'm thinking. But I was thinking Zion Johnson potentially. Um, yeah, or that would have broke me. That would have broke me in half. Zion yeah. Johnson going to Baltimore. That would have just yeah. absolutely killed me. Uh, but I think I'm gonna go Jordan Davis. Uh, because yeah, that hurts this too. Is if it yeah if it's prior to that free agency, no Michael Pierce yet. Yep. Uh, maybe we don't have to spend in the nose tackle department. And uh, yeah, you know he's there's a blue chipper. That fell, so Baltimore is going to have to take them. Yep, they're they're obliged. Yep, yep. That's that's the rule for sure. The rule is also if there's a player I like, they have to draft him. Um, <laughs> that happens every year, and it's it's the worst. But yeah, Z- wow, Zion Johnson would have absolutely destroyed my my soul. Um, yeah. so I'm glad that did not happen, even in this redraft. So Jordan Davis, that'll be tough, but you know, and, and their defensive line is in is in rough shape right now and and i think Mm -hmm. um i think they it was almost it was virtually a guarantee that that was going to be the pick what would had he been there so i think it makes a lot of sense here um all right at 15 i'm back up with houston once again and i think houston needs a receiver i think um they're due for a little bit of help on the offensive side of the ball uh, again, knowing what we know now about Houston, you know, they w- would really like to have as much support for a rookie quarterback in this uh, upcoming season as they can. Um, they took an offensive lineman here in real life. I took one already at three. I'm going to go ahead and just get the next best receiver that I can get, and I'm going to take Drake London. I think a big body guy for at this point, a Davis mills, but for the future a rookie, get a big body guy who's talented with some pedigree. And I think this is about as fall as far as Drake London needs to fall. So that's going to be the pick here to the Texans. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm big on that one. I like that a lot. They are ridiculously thin at receiver. 
um like crazy like crazy yeah so that that's a good couple um and that defense is still a mess and i haven't addressed it but you know the defense is gonna is a mess now even with Derek stingley and and will anderson just being drafted there um so they have a lot of work to do on defense anyway so uh do some work on the offense here fill out the defense with the later round picks i think to build a foundation and, and go from there yeah that's a good call um so I've got the uh the Washington Commanders. Commanders who may soon be called something else. Good gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. We're just gonna have shout, shout out Robertson Fire. Shout out, yeah, that, that's yeah. my guy. Um <laughs> I feel for my Washington fan friends so hard. Uh, it's why I'm so tough on Washington and everything I do podcast wise. Um, but you have a chance to really, really redeem them in, in my eyes here. And there's a lot of good options still on the board. So Washington at 16. There are a lot of good options. Um, so Sam Cosme played right tackle his rookie year. And then he and, played some right guard after that. And he and he played some right guard after that. They've since brought in a whole Andrew, a whole Andrew, lot of nothing. Andrew Wiley, um, Nick Gates, Sadiq mm-hmm. Charles. Nick Gates. It's, yeah. it's not a great. Uh, this is the way to go. You you are on the right path. Yeah, um, and frankly. I'm a big I'm a big Charles Leno guy. I think okay. he's one of the most underrated tackles in the yep. in the league. He's got a couple more years in him. Um, so, but th- that said, I don't think left tackles out of the question. Um, but I I like the value of Zion Johnson yep. more than any of the tackles on the board. Frankly, even even sliding even putting Evan Neal at right tackle, I still like what I saw from Zion. Um. Even even before he entered the league, and then what he did in his rookie year, I, I was su- I This was my uh, I, I wrote an article, do uh, a, a mock draft article essentially, and uh, this is who I was kind of pounding the table for for the Vikes actually at uh, oh, yeah. twelve initially mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because uh, I mean this was the Ed Ingram spot. This is the Ed Ingram spot exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I could give a shit about Ezra Cleveland. He's already playing out of position. Put him on the right. Screw it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Or, or, or Zion could come in and play right. But um, yeah, I like Zion Johnson there. Probably plays left guard um, on day one and, and yep. doesn't look back. I love that. Um, there were uh, many good offense. I think you could have done Tyler Smith and stuck him at left guard. I think you could have done yeah. Evan Neal and put him literally anywhere but zion um that's my guy i love zion johnson i would love that for washington i would have loved it last year and i especially would love it this year because it's uh, you you said i like charles leno as well and then it's uh, a whole lot of nothing after that so that's a great pick um the chargers are heartbroken here at 17 that's real tough but this i had another fun one here that i like for them um and I couldn't even I even had Zion Johnson on, on the board when I did my kind of like exercise practice run through this. The thing the Chargers need the most right now is just a 
burner on the outside. And I like Quentin Johnson, but I've said it on this podcast. I think that was uh, from a fit perspective when you talk about the types of receiver that they had and what they needed, I think was the wrong way to go. I think this by board standards is going to be a bit of a reach, but especially fantasy players are going to like this pick here. I'm going to go ahead and swing on Christian Watson here at 17 to the Chargers. Um, I think not only for the type of player he is and what he can do with Justin Herbert, I think what he will do for Herbert in turn and for the rest of this team, um, I think this would have been a home run pick even at 17. They got a poor ver- poor man's version of that and Jalen Hyatt and a great value in the third round in this year's draft. Oh, wait, no, that wasn't them. Just kidding. Take that, that was uh, Giants. Who did the – the Giants, well, the other team that Johnston, did. but who did uh they took somebody else late? I think I think you're mentioning the the, the TCU return man, Demario. Oh yeah, the, yeah, the other TCU guy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the Chargers here at 17, they're gonna take Christian Watson. The offensive line with Rayshon Slater getting hurt, anyways, is kind of a a lost cause for last season. Uh, regardless, mm-hmm. so we'll worry about that later. Um, but Christian Watson gonna open things up for the Chargers here. Yeah, I like that. They would have been much better off, especially the pairing with him and Justin Herbert. Yeah. Uh, and they would have been much better off with with him than a guy like Jalen Guyton, who was kind of getting the nine routes or yeah, uh, Purdy yep. or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I like that one a lot. I'm team get Justin Herbert weapons for sure. Um, he'll still have Joe Lombardi calling the plays, unfortunately, with yeah. Christian Watson, but that's yeah, all right. That's tough. We won't think about that for now. Don't think about it for now. Um, oh god, the the tape on the playoff loss is so brutal. Every every possession, you're just like, no, <laughs> take a shot, put it in, put it in. We've your- got Kellen Moore now. We're we're gonna we're gonna Kellen cross Moore's our fingers. Former quarterback, he he'll he'll play this thing. Um, all right, so you are up now. You have the Tennessee uh, Titans at eighteen. Tennessee Titans, my buddy James uh, is a Titans fan. Shout out James. On Bite Size Sports. And uh, we've had a lot of fun with him this offseason. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. You know, the old receiver memes and the Levis memes. and <laughs> It's been great. It's been great content. But here, I think I'm going to do right by our friend James, and we're going to take, I think this is where we go Trayvon Walker. I like like a couple other guys left on the board, but I like Trayvon here. Um, Comes into what's already a pretty nasty front with Danico Autry, Mm -hmm. Simmons, uh, Harold Landry when he's healthy. Um, And I I think that kind of rounds out that group. And, you know, some of the coverage flexibility he brings will be a, a great way to have, you know, uh, to, to be able to do, uh, I suppose you can come out in, in base and regardless of the, of the play call, whatever the strong side is, you can have either of those guys dropping into the flat. You can have either of those guys uh, setting the edge or, or, or blitzing for like a, a seven technique. And I think, you know that that sort of uh, disguisability and unpredictability will be will be super super uh, effective in that that Titans defense. And I, I think you just add a little bit more of the same guys who can get to the quarterback, 
um, and, and versatile, versatile edge players. And then you've got your, your edge three is, is Bud Dupree. And I think you feel pretty good about that group coming into this season. I think that's a, I think that's a perfect fit. I, it's starting to get a little, uh, Green Bay Packers Z with Aaron Rodgers at the end of his career, where it's like, man, are we going to help this offense at all? Oh, no, right. just get another defensive player. Um, but in a in a defense and for a defensive coach, that would actually make something of it. So I I love that. I think he'd be fantastic there. Um, yeah, it just fell like a little a little too far. Where I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of the line thing. of he's yeah. he's he's been killed long enough. We might we just someone's just got to take him here. Um, yeah. I think that's a great pick. I am up with the New Orleans Saints, and I mentioned that I was thinking about the offensive linemen at 11, and there's still a couple here at 19, and I'm just going to go ahead and swing on that, and I'm going to take Tyler Smith. Um, Teron Armstead on his way out. Uh, I am the, the, What the Saints did last year was they were planning on giving James Hurst the job or letting him be LT1 going into camp and, and letting guys kind of compete with him. But he had been a spot starter for a couple of years. He earned that right. Um, and, and maybe it's a case of Tyler Smith would compete with him, uh, would end up playing some left guard if Pete got hurt, which I, I can't remember when Pete got hurt last year, but I know he did. Um, but then eventually he's he's kicking out the left tackle as as we saw him do over the course of the year. So Tyler Smith, uh, Armstead on his way out, Tyler Smith on his way in for the Saints. Uh, this was the Trevor Penning spot. So same idea, just a, a player that definitely showed out last year. Yeah, for sure. Um, this one is this one's really tough um, because. I like the original pick. Yeah. And the original pick is sort of what you had to do to keep Mike Tomlin's above 500 streak alive. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. yep. Uh, we are alluding to the Steelers are here at 20, and I personally cannot wait to see where John goes here. I, For context for you, I was all in on the, like, just let yourself sink or swim with Mitch Trubisky for a year and see what happens. Cause mm-hmm. I thought there were so many other directions that they could have gone. And, and in this redraft, yeah. there definitely is. Um, but yeah, it, that's kind of where I'm at is there's a lot tough. of talent on the, there's a lot of talent left. Um, I will say my top like 17 guys, I think are, are 16, 17 guys are essentially off my board now. So, mm-hmm. um, you're not necessarily swinging too, too high. This is kind of the point in the draft where we get off of into the, like you could do a bunch of different things here. Guys at, at this range could be second round picks. Right. Um, so yeah, you could do, you could do a few things. I'm going to take Tyler Linderbaum. Okay. Steelers fans would be very happy with you. Yep. Okay. I, I like that one. Cause I mean, who, who did it end up being? Uh, I know you Cole. Got- Mason you guys, Cole. I know you guys wound up with Mason Cole, former Vike. Uh, Mason Cole was Kendrick, surprisingly Kendrick, good. Kendrick Green did not play up. one snap on offense in 2022-23. Thank goodness, and good. he might not make the team this year. Okay. Um, yeah, Mason I, Cole. I they just kept wrapping up those ankles all season long. They it looked like he had like snow boots on. He had, his tape yep. was so high. Um, yep. And he was good, and he was good. My one concern with Linderbaum, and, and we did see this net out for Baltimore this year, 
is just the AFC North in those teams. Just it's not the best fit to to utilize his true athleticism, but he still made it work in Baltimore anyway. So I, yeah. this was definitely a popular pick for Steeler fans, and I absolutely would have liked it. Oh, good. Yeah, you know, and it's it's tough. I mean, you've got DJ Reader in that division. Um, you've got Cam Hayward. I think it was. Uh, was it like Alu Alu or something playing nose for yep. the Steelers? Uh, yeah, yep. you got some big ass dudes. Yep. Um, but yeah, I you know I I think I mean you've got you've got a a real M effort to his right with Zeitler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think I think he's sort of flanked by some real strong. Yeah. Uh, or not Zeitler. Yeah. Uh, uh, James Daniels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's yeah. gonna come In over? This move, yeah. Going to the Steelers. Um, and then, uh, you know, I honestly, I, I don't know what you thought, but it seemed like Dan Moore was pretty fine, actually, by the end of he like, is last fine year. Fine is the perfect word. Um, he, is, he is totally, you know, fine. where it's just not, it, it's not like a, like a, an, an urgent concern necessarily yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, sort of stabilize that position. So, I mean, I like, I, I mean, again, you know, this is another spot I considered Evan Neal, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I was kind of waiting, like, because I think Linderbaum could really make a difference, particularly in the run game, um, and that's sort of what we're probably feeling like we're going to be leaning into coming into this season with Mitch, um, and uh, and and Najee. So yeah, I don't know. I think I think that uh, you know, kind of going back to that place in time. I think it, I think you'd feel pretty good about Linderbaum. I think that, yeah, uh, that's a good one. I'm not upset about that at all. And it probably wasn't even the thing that I would have thought about. Um, so I'm glad you got to make that pick and, and do that. Because, cool. yeah, I'm I'm happy with that. Let's go to the Kansas City Chiefs here. Um, knowing what we know now is very interesting for Kansas City because we know they don't need a true wide receiver one or a true cornerback one. They could just take a running back in round seven and get a bunch of day three corners and they, you know, they can call it a, a deal. Right. And Jalen Watson will be there. Don't worry about it. Jalen Watson will be there. Joshua <laughs> Williams is apparently just a fourth round pick for whatever reason. Um, yeah. The chiefs also don't need a consistent number one edge rusher. Apparently they'll just one supreme elite level D tackle. And that's really it that they need on their defense. No big deal. So what do you give a team that has everything? I am tempted to just say F it and take Evan Neal here and kind of right. just let him kind of be there for whatever I need and maybe become the left tackle. But I I don't think I'm going to do that here. Ooh. You know, one thing that I'm interested in, and I, I do think I want to take a receiver here just because as, as we talked about, like it is the position that you can just kind of keep taking. Mm-hmm. And there are two on my list. And I think either would do very, very well with the chiefs. And I'm going to let you tell me which one we're going to go with, but I like Jahan Dotson. I think he would be very fun with, with Patrick Mahomes. I'm also a big Alec Pierce guy and I could just see, a souped up version of what MVS did for them this year in Alec Pierce. And that that's kind of the guy I want to go with, but Jahan Dotson also was very, very good this year. What do you think about that? Yeah. So you're right. It would kind of be, you go Alec Pierce and that would sort of be that MVS role. And Jahan Dotson would almost be like that Juju role Mm -hmm. where, you know, doing more of the over the middle 
uh, working the intermediate stuff. Um, and then, and then Dotson's sort of a sneaky red zone threat. Yep. The best, the best but hands, I think true hands of, of, uh, the, the receivers this past, that past year. Actually. Um, yeah. 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 Um, but Pierce, Pierce, I like particularly for Kansas city trying yeah. to pivot off of Tyreek Hill, just getting some speed in the building. Yep. Um, I think I think that's the way we're gonna go. I, yeah, I think, I think there's would... very few teams for for which I'd take him mm-hmm. in the first round, like just because there's a lot of other positions to go to. But you're right. I mean, it's not when you're the Chiefs, you're like, listen, I can, I can, I can find starting caliber guys on day two and three, right? Wherever I need them, let's let's see if we can uh, get a real game changer. And yeah, that get more speed on that offense is a good call i like that one I, I i think i do prefer that to dotson just by a hair yeah I, I think that's where i'm at so we're gonna go alec pierce to the chiefs you know patch mahomes probably not even watching the draft he, he's just he's just somewhere chilling and we're we're just gonna get a good. call and be like hey we we just picked up a 6'3 210 pound former volleyball player who jumps out at the gym and runs a 4-3 is that okay uh, yeah great awesome can't wait uh <laughs> so yeah we're gonna do that green bay is just sitting there incensed right now that there's someone on their corner taking defensive players before receivers uh and offensive mm-hmm. linemen but a, another team that sneaky does really well on day three the green bay packers especially on the offensive line but what are you going to do here at 22 for green bay yeah um i love giving them giving them you know some guff for never taking them but i think i gotta go Jahan dotson here i like yeah. uh you know i think him especially playing alongside Aaron Rodgers, I think that would have been more of a needle mover last year in particular in their rookie season than a guy like Christian Watson, even when you combine that with the with the late round guy like Romeo Dubs. Um yeah, I, I think that's was was pretty it was pretty pro ready and like you said, great hands. Um I, I think he could very easily become a, a favorite target of Aaron's uh in his in his last dance in in green bay and uh yeah you know the the fans will be at ease after this one we got a receiver i think that i think that's a really good one kind of has the the benefits of dubs and of watson where he's a little more explosive than dubs but not quite as raw as watson a little more Mm of a true receiver like dubs but you know just has a little bit more pop to him the way watson does so i think i think that's a good mix and and one that i think rogers would appreciate and fans would definitely appreciate um so i uh, yeah i like that one that's a good one yeah it could be a great spot for his development too just in mm-hmm. general starting off with aaron um yeah, maybe i don't know if he makes enough difference for him to stay necessarily right. <laughs> but uh, but i think it would be a good year Listen, Jordan Love would like him too. It'll be it'll yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. Hey, I'm Connor. I'm Billy, and I'm Austin, and we're the host of the Tricky Takes podcast presented by the Box Score Network. We talk about all things sports, ranging from golf, baseball, football, NBA, and all college sports. Come give us a listen, and make sure you follow us over on Twitter at Tricky Takes, and that's tricky with two eyes. All right, here at 23, I am back up with the Buffalo Bills, and there's a lot that I could do here. 
Um, but I definitely want to continue to invest in this offense with the way the Bills season went. I mean, everybody on the defense got hurt anyways. We saw them take Kyrie Elam with this pick and get forced into a role that was maybe slightly above his head uh, for year one. But I think that was going to happen to whatever defensive player, defensive line, off-ball linebacker, DB, that they were going to take this year. So I'd rather look at what happened, how my season ended, and how the last few weeks went and try and help out Josh Allen a little more. I initially had Brees Hall here. Um, if I felt like I could, in this role of fake redrafting GM, uh, change my offensive scheme and, and make us run the ball a little bit more traditionally. But instead, I see an offensive lineman that I really like, that I think would fit here because he can push Spencer Brown at tackle. He could also take that job from Ryan Bates at guard. Um maybe be a better scheme fit than Roger Saffold on the left side, who I personally love, but it was clear it did not work in Buffalo. But I'm going to take Evan Neal here. This is where the slide stops for him. Um, and and I'm just going to let him figure out what position he's going to be best at and push all these vets uh, in training camp. Yeah, yeah, he could he could probably start at a couple spots on that, uh, on that 2022 line. I like that one, yeah. I mean, I was... I would probably be pretty tempted to to take him here if you hadn't, just because it's been uh, such a fall for him. But the Cowboys, so this was the Tyler Smith spot in yep. real life, um, which at the time felt like such a reach. They were getting they were getting clowned did. for the pick initially. It did, um, which is wild. Um, So here I'm I'm tempted to go. I, I think I'm gonna still go O line. Um I'm I'm a little torn between a couple of guards. Uh I, I think Salyer and Strange probably both outperformed Kenyon Green last season. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I kind of like that Kenyon Green archetype for for a guard. Yep. Um so I, I'm I'm thinking there, um, you know I, I I think there there's a non-zero possibility that, uh, um, well there's certainly a non-zero possibility that that Tyron Smith goes down with an injury again, right? Yeah. Uh, this year uh, there's a non-zero possibility that a guy like Abraham Lucas could push uh, mm-hmm. Steele at right tackle. Yep. Um, but I'm leaning towards Salier. What are you? What are your thoughts on uh, on that kind of group of guys? Because I, I I think O line is still the way to go. Yeah, I love that. The only other position I really thought about for them was a receiver. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously, we've taken a lot of the top receivers at this point. It would depend uh, on how you felt about a Romeo Dubs. Um, if you felt like he could, you could jump him all the way into round one or not. But I love offensive line for them. I think all of those guys are good fits. I think this the flex the position flexibility of Sawyer here is very right. intriguing. Cause remember, he was a guy that was like I thought he was gonna be day two. I, I was looking at yeah. him, I was I, I was looking at him as a second round pick for the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Um so it wouldn't actually right now it's weird to think about going from wow, round six to round one. But both his tape from last year and where he actually was pre-draft, it wouldn't be the craziest thing. Um, I think it would come down to him and Green, and it would just come down to 
would Dallas want the more flexible veteran guy who maybe has the limited upside or is it too enticing to get the young guy with all the potential in the world um so i so i think those are the two as opposed to going with one of the true tackles in in Mm -hmm. trevor penning or abraham lucas yeah because in an ideal world you've got your tackle duo for a couple years maybe um in in a healthy world anyway yep um i think i like what I like what Salyer brings to that offensive line for the same reason for as what what he did for the Chargers this year, where you know he uh, was was nominally nominally a guard coming in. Um, Rashawn Slater goes down; he ends up uh, playing left tackle, and was one of the few bright spots on on that offensive line that. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly outperformed a guy like I mean, Trey Pipkins. Um, I'm sure there's another name that's escaping me that was in that tackle conversation after Slater, but um, he looked he looked good. And so I think you know when you've had a, a guy like Tyron Smith, who's an All Pro when he's all the way healthy, um, but rarely is. You can shift him over. Their depth on the interior has always been pretty solid. Um, so I I think I lean towards the versatility a little bit, but Kenyon Green would be intriguing to just slap right in at left guard mm-hmm. with the uh, well-comprised unit outside of him with Biotish and Martin and, and Tyron Smith to his left. Like that's, that's enticing as well. Um, but just with, with the Dallas look, I kind of like Salier just yeah. for the position versatility. And especially if this is an exercise of knowing what we know now, which is okay, let's say whoever you draft, you're going to follow the plan they did with Tyler Smith. And this guy's going to be a left guard. And when Tyron Smith retires, he's going to be a left tackle. And that's the plan. But then Smith gets hurt, and I need this guy to play left tackle. Sawyer's the guy you're doing that with. You're not doing that with Kenyon Green. So I love that, and we love Jamari Sawyer on this podcast. So I fully support that. Um, Here I am with Baltimore. So I need to just scroll down and find my favorite player available and take him. Um, Let's see. We went Jordan Davis earlier. Uh, I think – Based on the year Marcus Peters had this past season, they'd think about corner, especially because Kyle Hampton was so important to them um, in the second half of the season when the defense started to get it right. Uh, And I don't think there's anything on the offensive side of the ball that really screams to me again. Same with receipt, same deal with receiver. Um, So I think corner is the move here. And I I mentioned this while we weren't recording, but I was going to be really interested in this group of corners and and where you lean. I think I know which one I prefer for Baltimore, but I think all these guys would be pretty decent fits. So you tell me what you like out of this group for them. Kyler Gordon, Kyer Elam, Roger McCreary, Alante Taylor, Cam Taylor Britt. All those guys had pretty positive, fairly positive rookie years. Um, I went through, you know, Roger McCreary might be like a tad undersized for what they like, but not super surprisingly. They, they've they drafted mm-hmm. some undersized guys even to play on the outside over the last handful of years. So I think any of those guys would be pretty solid. But what do you think in terms of a fit from from that group or is somebody on here so much more talented than the others in your opinion? Yeah, I like I like Alante Taylor in a in a Baltimore defense. Mm-hmm. Um I like Taylor Britt in a Baltimore defense. Um, 
a couple guys that I feel like are kind of in that tier as well are uh, Martin Emerson and Yep. Jack Jones. Um, Mm -hmm. Emerson was really good for Cleveland this year. Emerson was really good. I like Emerson. Um, Jack Jones is was really good. I I uh, I was joked on on my show uh, that when you play the Patriots, the Joneses keep up with you. Um, Oh my god. <laughs> stupid. Um, but him and Marcus and and Jonathan Jones were were all great. Um, he's a little smaller Yep. to where, especially when you're thinking about not just one season, when you're thinking about projecting these players out, that probably has him towards the bottom of that group for me. Uh, Martin Emerson has great size. Uh, yeah, you know, I like Emerson might be my favorite. Taylor's probably Alante Taylor's probably right there. Yeah, Taylor, Uh, Taylor feels right. yeah. Taylor feels right. The way he fits in that Saints defense, I think would translate to the Baltimore defense who who schematically is going went through a bit of a change last year, but I think in terms of what succeeds for them outside at the corner position, I think would still be fairly similar. So I like I like Alante Taylor and I really like Alante Taylor. So that's a that feels like the right pick for Baltimore. Yeah, Tennessee, right? Somewhere orange, Yep. Tennessee. Yep. Okay. Yep. Tennessee. Yeah. You got it. Um, all right, cool. Uh, good to get a little insight there on the corners. You are back up at 26. You got the New York Jets again. You get all three of their picks. Um, how are you going to complete this uh, first round rookie trio for New York? Okay, so it was Wilson and um, Hamilton and Kyle Hamilton for the Jets. So I think now I'm going to take Karlaftis. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's still worked out. This is exactly what happened with Jermaine I was Johnson. just They were I was just just about like, to say, oh, yep. shit, Jermaine They were thinking Johnson. about Jermaine Johnson at four. They thought about him at 10, end up getting him Yeah. at 26. Here you are with, with Karloftis. That's perfect. Yep, I like it. Um, all right, we talked about Karloftis at the top, so we'll kind of move along here. Jacksonville is up. They traded up to this spot for Devin Lloyd. Um, and I do think that's still pretty interesting. Um, edge rusher was the other thing I was thinking about here because obviously they went with Trayvon Walker who played a ton of snaps there for them. So I think that is still interesting, but I'm going to go with Kenyon green. Uh, that left guard spot is kind of the last hole on that offensive line. I think it's, I think it's actually fine despite the fact that it's played by guys named Tyler Shatley and Ben Barch, which are just the worst names probably in the nfl and they both play left guard for the jacksonville jaguars um but i think Kenyon green is just too talented and too interesting and the way that we know that tackles are going through what they're going through this year for this team be really nice to have a, a left guard that you feel really confident in and that would be a really strong interior with green and they took luke fortner later in the strap brandon sheriff they brought in um mm -hmm. continue to invest in this offense and protecting Uh, Trevor Lawrence, I think, would be a, a fun pick for Jacksonville. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler Shatley and Ben Barch sound like things you need to mop up. <laughs> like those, if you told me that those were actually the names of the guys on Dumb and Dumber, uh, I'd believe you. Like that. That's <laughs> right. too. That's too perfect. It's too perfect. Exactly. 
Uh, all right, you are back up with Green Bay again at 28. All right, who the hell went to Georgia? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to go... I think I'm going to go with Jaquan Brisker. I like it. Um, I like we, it. we just saw Adrian Amos depart. Yep. Uh, he was kind of already on his way out. I think it's a guy who really rounds out that secondary. We talked a little bit of Eric Stokes at the top of the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Rasul Douglas has been good when there. Jair, obviously. Um, I, I think you add a real presence uh, on the back end with that. And I, I've loved uh, Jaquan Brisker so far in his in his career. I think he's a, he has a noticeable presence on the on the field. I think outperformed Eddie Jackson playing alongside him um, on the back end for Chicago, and and we'll keep him in my division and um, and and take him here for the pack. So they they took uh, Jaquan Brisker and um, Jahan Dotson. And Jahan Dotson, Jaquan and State? Jahan, both, both Penn, Penn State. State. So right. little little pipeline, little, little pipeline, pipeline developing. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Uh, so New England, Georgia guys, the other time, yeah. <laughs> New England is up here at twenty nine. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, that's all you need. Just one one <laughs> flight. We don't have to pay too much money for it. Um, it'll be fine. Well, our first uh, New England is here at twenty nine. It's hard to not. Be like, okay, I guess I just have to take Cole Strange again because uh, the pick came out of nowhere and he was really good and it all worked out. Um, but for the purposes of this exercise, we're going to mix it up a little bit and I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger on Trevor Penning here. Um, their tackles obviously had their issues this year. Uh, I don't think too much to their fault. I think a lot of that was Matt Patricia being uh in charge of the offense and doing mm-hmm. what he did with that offensive line i won't get too far into it here as we get close to two hours of the podcast i've done it before um but trevor penning just get a little uh, a little bit of pedigree a little bit of upside um for this offensive line and they'll find a way to either make him work or cut him you know uh in preseason and you know it'll be fine so trevor <laughs> penning is going to be the pick here for new england i like that one yeah, um, and they had – well, they've got a guy like Michael Onwenu who gives you a lot of flexibility for who else to plug in along yep. the front. Um, so, yeah, I mean, any any alignment will do. Um, for KC, I want to go Damian Pierce. Ooh. So he's my, fa- he's my favorite running back out of this class. Um, I like him just a, just a smidge more than Walker and Brees. Um, and I think it's a perfect spot to take a running back because like we were talking about with Kansas city, they don't have a ton of glaring holes that, that we haven't seen them already overcome (laughs) with, with, with their strengths. Um, so I like getting an actual running back uh into the mix and um I'm uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire has been extremely underwhelming but it's a similar idea to that draft pick where it's like mm-hmm. we might as well take a running back who we feel like is going to take this offense to the real next level and then you know again we're moving off of Tyreek Hill 
maybe this offense looks a little different. We get Damian Pierce behind all that 13 personnel that they had mm-hmm. last year. And I think all of a sudden you've got a really interesting new look offense. And it's a souped up Isaiah Pacheco. It's it's what Isaiah Pacheco brings, what works for yep. them that CEH doesn't do. And it's just a better version of that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I really like that. Runs angry, runs hard, runs behind a great offensive line. I think I think that's a fun pick. Again, a team that has everything. Yeah, just throw, go ahead, throw the running back in there. Um, yeah. I think that's totally fine. Yeah, uh, since, be just a two down guy for him in that offense. Yep. But yeah, let's go. Cincinnati here at thirty one. Talk about a team that really didn't need the pick. They take Dax Hill, which even though he barely played, the pick still made sense. We always knew that that was going to be the Jesse Bates placeholder um mm-hmm. so that was that was the considering of that pick uh from day one it looks like that's still going to be the case a lot of directions i could go here i could still do that but that's not as fun um i'm gonna take david ojabo here because mm-hmm. this guy is a perfect afc north edge rusher and the he was a top 15 pick before the injury but the fact that he made it onto the field in year one really spells my concern of what that injury is um and how it's going to affect him and again especially because cincinnati didn't need this rookie this year anyways so now Mm -hmm. if they know okay the long-term play that i'm taking is a potential 10 plus sack guy who can play in the afc north instead of a free safety um that's the swing we're going to take so i'm going to take david ojabu there at 31 I love the David Ajabo pick. Um, it makes me want to take. I actually want to take uh, somebody I wasn't even thinking about. So <laughs> this one might be pretty boring. <laughs> um, it's usually but, the best ones. It's usually the best picks. Be, That'll be the best pick sometimes. Um, I really want to go Cole Strange, actually, for the Vikes. I love it. Which sucks, you know. (laughs) Um, But I I want to. So we ended up taking Eddie Room in the third uh, or late second. Second. Second, Um, yeah. And uh, he stepped on Kirk's foot. Three times right. uh-huh. when he was trying to drive, when he was trying to uh, basically take the snap, uh-huh. um, which is nuts. Yeah, so I've never seen that happen once, uh, but but he did it three times, and he was he definitely improved on the back end of the season, yep. which you expect. And I am starting to get behind just having continuity at the five mm-hmm. starting offensive line positions coming into this season. I think that's going to help. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, I think that uh, also this might this season here might be Ezra Cleveland's last uh, mm-hmm. with the team. Uh, he might go try to get some tackle money somewhere. He was mm-hmm. a Boise State tackle. I uh, actually played at Boise with Alexander Madison, which is kind of cool. Um, but I, I think Cole Strange really just shores it up. Yep. Um, I, I think you've you've suddenly got five starting caliber players on that unit, um, and I think it's gonna be better day one than Ingram was. And uh, you know, again, I think we can look towards 
some of the later rounds because I think there is another, you know, six to eight guy group at the cornerback position, for example, that I feel really good about being able to get in the second, uh, in the third even. Um, and and same thing really at uh, um, along the defensive line. I think we'll be able to get a couple guys there. There's all the linebackers are still on the board. Mm-hmm. Ended up going Brian Osamoa in the third, but we could maybe even snag a, a Devin Lloyd or a Quay Walker in the second, the way this draft shook out. So yeah. boring uh, for all my Vikings fans that end up checking this pod out. But uh, <laughs> we there would have been a lot less complaining out of the you folks as well if we got Cole Strange. Well, listen, I love it. We took eight offensive linemen in, in, a, in a first round, and a lot of them are guards, and that just that warms my heart. I, I took a lot of receivers over linemen personally, so I feel a lot better now. Um, nine, nine. I, I don't think I counted Linderbaum there for a second. Um, that's all beautiful. That was fantastic. That was so much fun, John. Really appreciate you doing this. Go ahead and uh, plug away. Tell everybody where they can hear you and and see all your stuff. Yeah, that was a blast. Uh, I'm mostly on YouTube these days. Uh, hopefully be back writing uh, closer to the season. It's just been pretty nuts. But uh, every Tuesday evening at 8 o'clock Central, uh, you can find me hosting Necessary Roughness. It's a live NFL show that we do on Bite Size Sports. Uh, you can also see me contributing to uh, the, uh, the Bounce for Bite Size Sports, in some cases, uh, our basketball show. And then uh, at least usually once a week on Minnesota Sports Talk on YouTube as well. And actually, so we're recording this on Wednesday tomorrow, which is Thursday the 27th. I'm actually interviewing Darrell uh, Darrell Madison, uh, Alexander Madison's dad at 7 Central. Um, He's been on the show once before. We're having him back on. Uh, So super excited for that. Um, But otherwise, it's usually either Wednesday or Thursday that you can catch me on Minnesota Sports Talk, uh, doing a live show all about the Minnesota Vikes. Uh, but that's that's about all I do. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter at uh, JohnBBoyd12. Um, and you can throw me a follow there. We can talk some ball. Uh, that's that's usually where I'm posting if I'm doing anything socials or if I'm creating any content. I, I generally just post it there. Awesome, John. We really appreciate you. Thank you again so much for coming on. We will have to do this again for sure. Uh, We really appreciate it. So everybody out there listening, thank you all so much. Um, We hope you have a great weekend and are very excited, as excited as we are to be done with the off-season fodder type stuff. It was a ton of fun for sure, but we are excited Mm -hmm. for preseason and training camp news and reports and getting this regular season underway in just about five weeks here. So everyone, thank you so much. Have fun. And be safe out there.